Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit. And no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Kerry Carpenter, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Now the real work starts. Right now is a very important time in the Tigers minor league system. In the words of noted poet Michael Scott, I'll see your situation and I'll raise you a situation. The Tigers have graduated both Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson from prospect status. They are no longer considered major league prospects as much as they are established major league players. And I know Spencer Torkelson is down in AAA. They're working on him. He's working it out. So what's going to start to happen is this. Different publications, different scouting services are going to come out and say that the Tigers have a farm system that they deem to be below average. And not everyone sees it that way. So the question becomes, how do you make believers out of the consensus? Kylie McDaniel, who we've had on this podcast, recently came out with his organizational rankings for minor league systems. He had Detroit at number 13, and then post the graduations of Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, he now has them ranked at number 24 in Major League Baseball. So here's one way to start making believers out of the consensus. Baseball America just did its re-rank of the top 100 prospects in baseball. And there are more Detroit Tigers prospects on that list than on any other list among the big scouting services. Jackson Job comes in at number 74 overall. Wilmer Flores snuck into the back end of the top 100. He's at number 95, and there's also another entry into the top 100. Right at the back end, number 99, Jace Young, you are a top 100 prospect. Jace Young has snuck his way into the top 100 as that just came out at the beginning of the week. So the Tigers now have three top 100 prospects. I think right now what we're going to see across this industry are some people will be bullish on the Tigers' prospects and some will be bearish. When you had Riley Green and you had Spencer Torkelson, there was no dissension. There was no conversation. You had a pair of top five picks in the MLB draft. A year from now, The Tigers may have another very high draft pick that we're talking about. But I think it's interesting that Jackson Job, Wilmer Flores, and Jace Young are all in the top 100 for one of the biggest scouting services in baseball. That's at Baseball America. And a year from now, perhaps a few names not on this list might actually get into that top 100. Like Colt Keith. He dominated in West Michigan, and he did it at just 20 years old. He hit 300. He was tearing up the league. He injured his shoulder. At this point in the year, it's probably unlikely that we'll see him play in game action again. Might not be until Instructs or perhaps the Arizona Fall League. But he, if he comes out and does as well as he did to start this year, could easily work his way into some top 100 conversations. He's already a top 100 prospect for the aforementioned Kylie McDaniel. He's just not there for everybody. We've seen it. We understand what kind of talent is there, but Colt Keith could be on that list. And based on what we saw this weekend, maybe this young man could be as well. The 1-0 to Pacheco. Swing and a drive. High in the air. Deep in the right. Forget about it. Goodbye. Two-run home run. (laughs) 
426 feet off the bat of the Tigers second rounder in 2021. So there came a point over the weekend in Lansing, Michigan, where the members of the visiting broadcast crew ran in to the radio booth and said to me, we need to talk. I kind of thought they were ready to fight. I didn't know exactly what was about to happen. I said, what can I help you with? And they said, we really like Isaac Pacheco. <laughs> and I think they believe he's a dude. And that's the most flattering thing you can say in baseball scouting services. And to see what he did in a number of different areas over the weekend as he made his West Michigan debut was extremely impressive. We talked about Colt Keith having all that success to begin the season as a 20-year-old. Well, now Isaac Pacheco is doing it at 19 years old. By the way, got a chance to see him again. We saw him down in Lakeland, but seeing him again, I forgot just how massive of a human being he is. He's 6'4". He's got to be north of the 225 pounds that he's currently listed at. But going up to him, I remember saying, oh, Isaac, good to see you again. He literally looked at me and he was like, hey, Dan, great to see you again. <laughs> he sounded like one of those guys who have their faces blacked out so you don't reveal their identity. <laughs> he has a lower voice than anybody on this podcast. <laughs> Might have to get Isaac Pacheco to read the James Earl Jones line from the movie Field of Dreams. I just feel like it'll come naturally to him. But this weekend in Lansing, he was all about manning up. And it wasn't just the fact that he hit a 426-foot home run. And it wasn't just the fact that he hit an opposite field home run. It was the fact that he had another at-bat where he had two strikes on him, he got a breaking ball, and he slowed his swing down. You know, in golf, any instructor will tell you, don't take your full swing. Don't swing at 100%. See what it feels like to swing at 70%. And usually, 19-year-old kids, they only have one speed, and that's 100. But Pacheco showed us, even in just the span of two days, that he has the ability to swing at different speeds and to play the game at different levels. That's going to make him just that much harder to adjust to. And you can see why he's had success down in Lakeland to begin the season. Moreover, his defense was very strong. He had a couple of plays where he had to field in between hops, and he looked like he'd been playing the position for 20 years. Okay, maybe not 20 years because you get kind of <laughs> old and like kind of break down at that point, but like 10 years. How's that? He showed off a strong arm. He even made a play on a ball that hit off the third base bag. If you don't know this, in the minor leagues, they actually expanded the bases, and now they're actually just the size of Nate Wangler. <laughs> but they're massive, and to have to deal with those, now you have more balls hitting the bags than you ever have. But it wasn't a problem. He made every play on every ball hit to him, and not only that, but he delivered on the offensive side as well. If this is Isaac Pacheco, this is going to be a top 100 prospect. Maybe not now, maybe not six months from now, but certainly as he continues to progress, especially if he plays at high A West Michigan. Beyond that, Time Adden just got promoted to double A. There's a chance that we could be talking about him. We've stumped for him on this podcast to become a top 100 prospect. Well, he's going to get challenged a little bit more. He was promoted to double A Erie. In his final game with West Michigan, he gave up five runs in five innings. In his first game with Erie, gave up four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Gave up a couple of home runs. So what did we see when he started in West Michigan? He gave up a few too many home runs. So as he adjusted to West Michigan, the hope is that he'll make that same type of adjustment to double-A Erie. It's a much more hitter-friendly ballpark in double-A. So things may be a bit more challenging in that regard. If you remember, Madden gave up home runs in each of his first six starts with West Michigan, but then he started to figure that out. He ended up giving up only four more homers over his final 14 starts as a whitecap. So we'll give him some time to figure it out. All six of those players, Jackson Job, Wilmer Flores, Jace Young, Colt Keith, Ty Madden, Isaac Pacheco, could easily be considered consensus top 100 prospects if they have strong finishes to their seasons. 
But now that Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson have graduated, this is an extremely important time in the Tigers minor league system. Meanwhile, they picked up a couple of new trade acquisitions. They made a few small deals at the trade deadline. As Robbie Grossman was traded to the Atlanta Braves, left-hander Chris Anglin came back in that deal. He has now been assigned to low A Lakeland. Meanwhile, right-hander Sawyer Gibson-Long was brought over from the Minnesota Twins. That was the return in exchange for Michael Fulmer. His first game ended up coming as an Erie Seawolf at Portland. He threw five innings, gave up just one run on four hits and a walk while striking out seven. Not bad for the right-hander, whose name also could suggest him being some type of novelist. I don't know. (laughs) Sawyer Gibson-Long ends up with a solid debut as a Tigers minor league prospect. Meanwhile, we mentioned time out, and last week on this show, Jace Young joined us, and we had a thought that there was a real chance he could end up making his professional debut in West Michigan. He did just that. Here's the 0-1. Swing, a little looper in the left field. That'll get down for a base hit for Jace Young. Save that baseball. The first hit for Jace Young in professional baseball. And with that, Jace Young is on the board. So there's a look at the latest and greatest going on in the Tigers minor league system. Look, we could run away from the fact. We could run and hide from... Anybody who says that the Tigers have a farm system that isn't so high or isn't this and above. But we're going to tell you exactly what's going on because this is the only way to give you everything you need to know about the Tigers minor league system. We also present counter arguments if need be, but we will leave no stone unturned because the more we know, the more we can control. The more we understand, the more that can be fixed. This is why you listen to the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. So make sure you like and subscribe to this show. Our producer is Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. Thanks so much for checking back in with us here on the RTD. This week, we're going to have a really wide scope, a zoom out situation where we talk draft philosophies. The man who's been setting up the Detroit Tigers draft board for more than a decade is Scott Pleiss. He has been in charge of the picks such as Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson and Jackson Job. We're going to talk about what brought those on, what is important to him. You know, if anybody's made a draft board, whether it's fantasy football or fantasy anything, you understand how hard it is to make a draft board. Well, imagine your entire career depending on it. So Scott Pleiss has an understanding of how to put one of these together more so than many of us do, as much as we might like to think otherwise. And I have a wild theory about draft-eligible players. I think it's out there. I think it might be crazy. It's probably insane. But we're going to throw it at the wall, and we're also going to throw it at Scott Place, and we're going to see if it sticks. Should I do it? Should I say it here? Should I say it now? Nate? Yes. All right. So when you're talking about the MLB draft, other than, say, the top so many players, the top 10, 15, 20 players, pretty much everybody else from rounds 2 through 20, at least in this case, there used to be 40 rounds. But if you're rounds 2 through 20, by and large, most of those players are similarly talented. There's not a huge difference between players taken in the second round versus players taken in the 20th round. The difference comes down to two major factors. Number one, that player's work ethic. How hard do they get after it? This is one of the things scouting departments understand just as much as anything, a player's drive, a player's desire, and their passion. Especially now in an age of analytics, that's something that's so vital. That's the first part. The second part is the effectiveness of that major league team's player development system. Is that fair? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But you know who does? Scott Pleiss, the director of amateur scouting for the Detroit Tigers. He'll join us. We'll ask him. We'll see if he's agree or disagree. Also coming up a little bit later on the show, Joey Wentz, the Tigers' number 10 prospect, is scheduled to join us. He was on rehab assignment in West Michigan and was kind enough to talk to the RTD. Let's hit the on-ramp. 
We go to the Complex League. The FCL Tigers, well, they've got a whole bunch of new faces on their roster. Many of those players drafted in the most recent MLB draft a couple of weeks ago have been assigned to the Complex League. And, well, they had a nice week. 3-2 and two with a win over the Blue Jays. They swept the FCL Phillies. And then, of course, their game against the Yankees. That's part of the contract. 3-1, to one, they lose on Saturday. But Andrew Jenkins, who was actually a top 250 MLB draft prospect to some, including MLB Pipeline. He was taken in the ninth round, got off to a hot start. Two for five with a run scored, a double, and two runs batted in. We mentioned Chris Anglin, who was part of the Robbie Grossman trade, made his first appearance in the system, gave up a run in his only inning of work. To Loe Lakeland, the Flying Tigers won four out of six at home against Dunedin. Dylan Smith, much like Joey Wentz on his rehab assignment, two innings in his first appearance, three innings in his next appearance, and for Smith, he ended up looking good in both appearances, including his Thursday game where he tossed three scoreless frames, gave up just two hits and a strikeout in a 4 nothing shutout victory. We ended up seeing him make an appearance in the locker room in West Michigan over the weekend. So sounds like we'll see Dylan Smith back on West Michigan's roster, assuming everything checks out from a health perspective this week. Meanwhile, Danny Soretti, infielder, taking round six out of North Carolina, three for five with a double, a home run, and three RBIs over his first two professional games this weekend. Then Peyton Graham, who we're looking forward to having on this program. Second rounder out of Oklahoma, one of the best players in the College World Series this year. Started his career. He had two hits in his first seven trips, scored three times, and stole two bases. That's the interesting power-speed combo that Peyton Graham provides. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Let's go to High A West Michigan. The Whitecaps had another solid week. They have played seven different series in the second half of their season. They haven't lost a single one. They won four out of six over the Lansing Lugnuts in the state capitol. They maintain a four-game lead over the Lake County Captains for the Midwest League East Division second-half crown. The Great Lakes Loons are also four games back as well. We mentioned Joey Wentz. He made another rehab appearance on Wednesday. Three scoreless innings with a strikeout, gave up just a single hit. Looks like he's on his way up to AAA Toledo or perhaps even Detroit. In due time. Time Adden. Boom! We mentioned his promotion to AA Erie. Congratulations to Tough Act and Time Adden. You know one of our favorite players on the road to Detroit this year has been Josh Crouch. Well, he finished the week 7 for 20, three doubles, a home run, and nine runs batted in. If you rank prospects, odds are you are not high enough on Josh Crouch. We mentioned the outstanding start for Isaac Pacheco. He totaled the weekend going three for eight with home runs in back-to-back games and drove in three. Meanwhile, Jace Young got his first pro base hit. That was pretty much the long and short of it for Young over the weekend. Expecting to see more of him and looking forward to seeing what he can put together the rest of the way. Let's go to AA Erie. The Seawolves are playing well. Four out of six wins over Portland on the road. Wenzel Perez went deep again. Another homer, part of a 6-for-20 performance over the course of the week. Had a couple of doubles and a pair of RBIs. Austin Bergner, he got promoted as well. There were a few different changes in promotions around AA Erie. Both Bergner and Andre Lipsius were both promoted to Toledo over the course of the early week, and Bergner had an outstanding start on Saturday. Five scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Bergner has only allowed three runs over his last 26 innings pitched, and now he's taking his talents to Toledo. He was a big-time high school prospect. We've had him on this show this year. If you missed that conversation, go back and listen to Episode 5, where we had Austin Bergner. You know somebody else I might have to have on this program? It's been a while since we've talked to Parker Meadows, but he has started to play the best baseball of his entire professional career. He hit safely in four out of six games against Portland, had a double, and his 13th home run of the season. This one is belted deep to right field. Wilson turns, and this one is gone. It's in the Giffords Pavilion, and it's the Erie Seawolves who break the scoreless tie at the top of the ninth inning. Parker Meadows, his ninth home run of the season, and it's 1-0 Erie. 
Remember the days we used to call Parker Meadows the baby giraffe? Well, he no longer has that look anymore. He's got a beard like his older brother, and he's out here mashing home runs. He's got 13 homers, 37 RBIs. He's hit over 250 with 11 stolen bases. He's played solid defense. He's really been able to take a step forward this season. To Triple A Toledo, the Mud Hens won four out of seven games. They had the Iowa Cubs, and Kerry Carpenter continued to surprise. The pitch popped up, slicing down the left field line towards the Iowa bullpen. Racing into the corner is Kerry Carpenter. I think he caught it. He did. What a catch by Kerry Carpenter amidst all the traffic. Kind of like that scene from the movie Cool Runnings where Senka Coffee's like, Grandma, out of my way. There was like 10 different relievers in the bullpen. And Gary Carpenter just kind of, excuse me, going to slip right past you. Made that catch and also dominated at the plate. Three home runs against the Cubs, including a grand slam. He was 10 for 24 with nine RBIs. And by the way, more walks than strikeouts. We're starting to see some offensive players in the Tiger system starting to figure things out, and more so a little bit right now than in past seasons, and that's something worth keeping an eye on. Meanwhile, Spencer Torkelson still trying to work out the bugs. Seven for 26 as he recalibrates a double and two homers, so at least a couple of home runs for Torkelson as he works his way to get back on track. That's a look at the on-ramp, our conversation with Scott Pleiss, the Detroit Tigers Director of Amateur Scouting. Very important, a wide range of topics. We have a lot to unpack with Scott. That happens right now on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. It has been an important last couple of weeks in the Tigers minor league system. Every year is important this time of year, albeit a little bit later this calendar year than in previous seasons. The 2022 MLB draft is in the books, and the man who has been in charge among many, many of his scouts, the Tigers director of amateur scouting, Scott Pleiss, joins us now here on the road to Detroit. Scott, good to have you back. Good to be here. So, Tell me a little bit about how all this went down, because there's always different dynamics thrown in, and you were down a couple picks, your extra pick at the end of the second round was traded away, your third rounder was given up to sign Eduardo Rodriguez. I know it's never ideal to be down a couple of picks, although I know you've run drafts with those situations, but but the bonus pool, like, I mean, how big of an impact is the reduction of that bonus pool? Well, the bonus pool is obviously a big deal because... Obviously, the more money you have in the draft, the the more creative you can get, and um, and try to use your money uh, accordingly. But we've we've been down this road before. We've had you know we've had years where we had uh, you know we picked in the first round and then didn't pick to the fifth round. We didn't start till the year I think we got McCann. We think he was picked seventy two or something like that. But so we've had it where we haven't had our normal picks before, and we always seem to work it out and. And just knowing ahead of time what you have to do, you just plan for it and, and you, you try to get it done. So I want to talk about the picks you made this year, but in the spirit of going chronologically, I think it's really interesting now that we've got a little distance on our last conversation. The last time we had you on this show, you had just taken your draft class from a year ago, including Jackson Job, number three overall out of Heritage High School in Oklahoma. And I believe much of your work takes place down in Lakeland, and that's where Jackson has been. How much have you seen from him, and how would you summarize the past year of his development based on what you knew when you took him? Jackson's doing great. I just happened to see him when we do the draft out of Lakeland every year, as you know, and uh, I, I got to talk to Jackson down there live, and and I didn't get to see him pitch, but I got to see him and talk to him, and he's doing he's doing really well and excited to be in pro ball, and and he's progressing well. Um, I know everybody's, you know, how it is nowadays, instant gratification and see things right away. But, you know, some of these things take some time. And uh, Jackson's doing a great job, I think. What's taking time for him? Because I know that with a high school guy, you're talking about physical development. But one thing that I think doesn't get talked about enough is the mental development. What are the different aspects of the challenges that he's been working on? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, 
in high school, it's just, a, it's such a, it's a big jump from high school to D1 baseball to professional baseball and then get through the minor league system and then get to the major leagues. Huge jumps all, all throughout that. And he's going to, you know, he's going to physically, he's, he's going to have challenges, just a rigors of a regular season because he hasn't, you know, gone through that in high school. It's a shorter season. You pitch once a week and it's a whole different um, schedule. You get into pro ball, you pitch more often, you pitch longer into the summer and you learn how to handle that physically and mentally. And then also uh, learning how to pitch. You know, he's, he's a very talented kid like a lot of these guys are. And really, probably through their high school years and even a lot of these guys in college, they can fall back on athleticism or just pure stuff. Or if you're a hitter, just a really good hitter. And they're just naturally gifted so they can get by. When you start to get into pro ball, though, obviously it's a lot better competition. It's a lot tougher. And they have to learn how to play the game. They have to learn how to pitch. They have to learn how to hit. They have to learn how to do everything that uh, – that they need to do. And it just takes, it just takes a normal, it's just a normal progression for a hitter or a pitcher to go through all that and figure it all out. So when they do get to the major league level, they're ready to produce and, and, um, and win games. I'll never forget the day that one former high school pitcher that ended up being a Tigers draft pick. I think he pitched one time in, in West Michigan and he was cruising for a while. And then he kind of gave up like four or five runs in one inning. And I remember saying to him, what was it about that one inning? And his answer just totally stunned me. He said, you know, in high school, I never had to pitch from the stretch. I was just, I, I never had runners on base. I never had to deal with it. Now here in pro ball, I do. And I'm sure you've heard something along these lines, perhaps before. How normal is something like that? Well, sure. I mean, a lot of these guys like Jackson, I mean, he probably almost, you know, I don't remember his, his record in high school, but it was phenomenal. He, he struck out most everybody. And if they hit the ball, it was rare. And um, so basically he's throwing from the windup and he's not worrying about backing up bases. He's not worried about doing any of that stuff because he's getting everybody out. So when you get to pro ball, you go from that environment to pro ball, it's totally different. Guys are putting the ball in play more. You have to make better pitches and you have to learn how to, how to pitch. And not just just rely on your talent. So yeah, it's not uh, unheard of. It's it's you know some of these guys get away with it, and then they have to make that adjustment. Like I said, when they get to pro ball, take me back to last year. You guys decided to shut Jackson down. I know he didn't throw professionally, but he wasn't the only one. Time Adden also didn't throw in the pros. I know everyone can be a unique situation, but it's interesting to compare Job and Madden because they're two different ends of the spectrum. You got a high school guy with very few innings versus a polished college guy with a ton of innings. I think people are curious as to what leads to those two archetypes getting a similar treatment. Well, if you remember, we had COVID. And so what happened there is, you know, it was probably more for Madden uh, already being a college player. He's, he threw more the COVID year didn't hardly throw at all. And then you get into pro ball and then you got to, you got to ramp your innings back up. So you can't get into it too hard um, because you, you've missed a year of really throwing. So you can't go all out and just say, okay, I'm going to jump right back into if I threw 80 innings last year, I'll throw 95 or a hundred the next, the next year you missed that year and that COVID year. So it kind of hurt everybody as far as their development and where they, and where they left off of that. So you got to be careful that and the same, and with, with Jackson, it was kind of the same thing and he didn't throw a lot of innings anyway. Um, So you can't just get them and go crazy with them and just, you know, let them throw a complete game every time you got to be careful and you got to build it up. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build these guys arms up, get them prepared. And then as a progression, by the time they, you know, they're, they're, through a ball and they're into double a and they're doing well they're they're ready to just keep their natural development and, and not worry so much about their innings until it gets to a point where you know you gotta you've got to watch it though how much of that is because of potential arm injuries well i think i think all of it is uh, you know or most of it is i think you know i think a lot of times the better you get um 
obviously the better your pitching and your and and your the better your stuff is and you'll you'll pitch through some games and get to your pitch count and and with with uh, a lot of uh or not as many stressful pitches and and get there but when you're when you're learning and you're struggling and you're trying to figure it out you might have a lot of you know some high pitch counts and in innings and struggle through some and work through it and and try to figure it out and then you may get to your pitch count before you get to six innings or five innings but um, it's just, a, it's just a natural progression and it's a, it's a, it's a, to try to be careful with everybody. You don't want to overload somebody, uh, early on. Like I said, you need to build up to this and, and then get them to a point where it's, it's, a it's a, not a big deal to throw 80, 90 pitches as they do now. We talked to Scott Pleiss, the director of amateur scouting for the Detroit Tigers here on road to Detroit kind of feels like in this day and age that injuries to pitchers just feel unavoidable. There's just so many guys that seemingly go down, whether it's before they're drafted, after they're drafted, while they're in the minors, while they're in the majors. It just seems like it's kind of ran across the board. So, you know, neither of us here are athletic trainers, but I wonder from your perspective, if we are at a place where we can or we do assume eventual injuries for pitchers and simply just build that into their developmental timeline. I mean, people just say, oh, well, this guy should be in the big leagues in two years. Well, maybe it's smarter to build in some recovery time from any number of injuries, let alone something like Tommy John. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, it's been prevalent the last few years, especially. And and, and you've seen, you know, in the entire game, what's happening this year in college and professional baseball, it's everybody seems like they're getting hurt. So it's been really, it's been really hard that way. I don't, I don't think you can build it in. It's just something you have to deal with. Um, and it obviously will take more time for a prospect to, to get to the big leagues. Uh, if that kind of thing happens, unless he really bounces back and, and, and progresses fast, which that could happen, but it's just one of those things. I, I wish I had the answer on why these guys are getting hurt. I know, you know, most of these guys, uh, you know, the way pitchers are today, they all throw really hard. And, you know, I don't know if that's a correlation, if it's just the max effort and the, and how hard they throw now um, is just more wear and tear on their arms, but maybe possibly more breaking balls depending on the pitcher, but it's just one of those things and, and you hate to see it, but, we are also, you know, in tune with that and we're trying to do our best to prevent it. But if it does happen, you know, our guys do a good job in the, the science and the technology and to get these kids in the surgeries and everything is getting better um, to get them back and, and, and try to get them back to where they were before they got hurt. So it's unfortunate, but it seems like it's one of those things right now, at least in, until, you know, somebody smarter than me can figure it out. Uh, we got to deal with it. All right, consider this the Tarek Skubal question. He was somebody you drafted in the ninth round back in 2018. Is it at all valuable to have gotten Tommy John out of the way prior to your draft? I mean, naturally, you don't want to get somebody that's hurt. I mean, you want to get a healthy guy to start with. Sometimes it works out that way if he's already had it. Um, And it works out where, you know, it doesn't interfere with his timeline when we get him, but um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a window there too, where the guys get Tommy John, you know, the, you know, they don't all, those surgeries don't last forever. So, you know, you want to, you'd rather much rather get a healthier guy, but I see where you're going. It's, it's a, it's a shorter timeline to the big leagues. If you obviously, if you don't have to sit out after, you know, having Tommy John or, or whatever surgery you have, but uh, with Scoobal, it worked out and, and he's done a, done a great job and, and knock on wood have, has had no problems. Somebody once asked me this and I knew I didn't have the answer, but I also knew that you would. We all talk about drafting the best player available. And what I understand is how you can compare a bunch of, say, pitching prospects to one another and decide who the best one is. I also understand how you can compare a bunch of position players to one another. 
what <laughs> I would like you to enlighten this listening audience to is the crossover and how you evaluate comparing position players versus pitchers. How does that happen? Well, it's it's really it, it is best player like you've you've heard me say probably many times and some other guys. Um, but the crossover is is more or less just the impact and what type of player you think you're getting and the probability he's going to be that player. So if the position player is, you know, is obviously going to be an everyday guy and he's going to be a, a above average everyday player, depending on his position and, and, and where he hits in the lineup, but that's a, that's a great value. If a guy's going to be a back end of this back end starter, a middle, middle of the row starter or a top end starter, front end starter, those are three different animals there. I mean, you're getting a one or a two. Those are, you know, and nowadays those are almost impossible to get. I mean, they're very difficult to get. So you get a number three starter, obviously very good. And obviously, you know, we, we value the, the fourth and the fifth starter. But um, if you think you're getting, you know, an above average position player and you think you're getting a back end starter, you'd probably lean towards the, the above average position guy. You, you, it's really about impact and what type of player you're getting overall. I've seen a lot of videos inside Detroit sports teams draft rooms over the past year, whether it was Brad Holmes or the Lions slamming a table or the Pistons, Troy Weaver making a trade to move up. Take us into your draft room a couple of weeks ago. Since we can't see how things played out, what important things happened from your perspective as those first 11 picks unfolded and led you to Jace Young? Well, a lot of things happen. I mean, a lot of work goes into it beforehand. Um, we have regional draft meetings. We have meetings in, with analytics, and the analytics are all in, in all these meetings I'm going to mention. And we talk about these players all all spring and and now deep into the summer because of the the where the draft is since it's been moved back. And we've also seen these players the year before and possibly a college player that we saw in high school. So we, there's a lot of history built into this, and a lot of times, you know, We've seen these guys, so it all builds up to their draft year. And then we have many meetings over, over time, talk about the guys, regional draft meetings. Then we get to the – by the time we get to Lakeland and we get there before the draft, we've we've done a lot of work on these guys. So the board is pretty much put together. We're always talking about it, always tweaking it, um, always taking in new information and and using that. And, you know, the, the, the thing about – picking either picking uh like we picked one one before obviously a couple times pick wise that's you know it's it's a tough it's a tough pick but you know you're picking one one so you know no one's going before you so you know who you're going to take um that's that's the easy part about one one and that's about it but when you're picking 12 obviously you you think uh and we've done a pretty good the guys have done a pretty good job over the years knowing how the board's going to how the names are going to come off the board so but we have to wait and see who's actually going to get there if there's a couple surprises somebody takes the guy or two guys that you really wanted then you know we're prepared to take the next guy but a lot of things can happen um we picked like i mentioned earlier when we took i, I think james mccann i think he was 72 or 74 we had a lot of players go obviously before that and and that's hard. That's really hard to predict who's going to get there. Um, but so a lot of things happen. And you know what? After doing it for a long time, it's, you know, we're just prepared for anything and everything that could happen. So, you know, worst case scenario, best case scenario, and just make sure that we're prepared when it gets there. So it's not a if it's not a surprise, uh, it's not a problem. And, and you know, there might have been a player that went before us that we wanted to get, but. That's just, uh, you know, the way the draft is at times. Has there ever been a scenario where Scott Place has slammed a table in the draft room? No, you know what? I don't, uh, I, I, you know, I'm like anybody. I could get mad at, at certain things. But, uh, no, I don't, uh, I don't get too worked up about that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a long process. You got to, you got to try to, keep an even keel about it and, and, and really think everything through. So no, I don't get, um, it's not like I've been in some draft rooms in the past where some guys can, 
can get pretty worked up, but uh, we don't, uh, we don't get like that now. It's, it's, it's so we, we beat it up for so long and work so hard that we pretty much, we have a good feel what's coming our way, what's going to happen. And so there's not really any, oh my gosh, surprises um, that really throw you off guard. I, I will say this when, when we got Madden, um, we really saw Madden good, Ty Madden good. And I had, I, if, if I would have bet you before the, uh, the draft, I said, there's no way he's getting to our second pick. And he did. And that was a surprise, but that was a good one. When guys get worked up in that room, what's your role? Are you like the moderator? It's like, if there's infighting in a band, are you like the lead singer? You have to like settle this debate. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody, you know, it's, there's a lot of, these guys are, are really good at what they do and they work really hard and they're passionate about it and they're very competitive people. And so, you know, they, they have their opinions, but uh, we've been together a long time, this group. Um, and when we do bring new people in, uh, they see how we do it and they, you know, the guys are conformed to it and they're great guys. And so we think through it, it very rarely ever gets heated if it if, you know and if it did it would be very light and you know we get through it and it's it's never been a problem since i've been here all right let's talk about jace i know you're not big into player comps so tell us what makes jace unique well i'll tell you what first of all he's a a great competitor great baseball player awesome makeup just a really neat kid um, with a lot of talent Power from the left side, um, grinder at the plate, doesn't doesn't give up at bats, can get and take walks, knows knows the strike zone, uh, is going to get to the power, is going to hit in the middle of the lineup, and he's going to play a solid second base, and he's going to be one. He's one of those guys on the team that you know everybody's going to gravitate to, everybody's going to want to play with him. He plays with excitement and passion, and you guys will see that, and you'll enjoy. Uh, watching him do his thing when it's time. It's interesting that you mentioned his makeup first, and I also saw somewhere you mentioned that his teammates love him. Did you ever see that movie Draft Day where Kevin Costner's making the picks for the Cleveland Browns and the idea is that nobody's taking the star quarterback because none of his teammates went to his birthday party? Do you ever get intel like that? Is that valuable for you guys? Well, we get a lot of weird things and a lot of good things we, we find out. Um it just depends on what the information is. And, and, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in, in the makeup part of this, in the, in the, the work ethic and the competitiveness and, and the people that have the drive to, to be excellent in the top of their field. So, and that's what you got to do, you know, to get to the big leagues, every, every player that we take every year as good as they are, when they get into the, when they get into pro ball, they need to get better, and they need to get better every year to be a good big leader. Unless there's you know there occasionally there's some freaks that are so good it doesn't it doesn't matter. But those are very very rare cases. So these guys, the makeup part of it and the work ethic and all that 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 goes in with that, it has to be good. You have to have you have to have the right mindset and the toughness and the work ethic and all the stuff we're talking about to be a, to, to get to the big leagues. And then, and then to be a good big leaguer, you, you know, you have to carry that on. They'll probably work even harder when they get there. So that's a big, big part of it. Ready for my hot take. It's my opinion that most of the guys in the draft pool are similarly talented. What makes or breaks you as a pro are mainly two elements, player development and work ethic. Agree or disagree? Oh, I absolutely agree. Absolutely. It's got, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, like if you're, if you're just taking, you're just taking a, a flat line of everybody that you're scouting has ability and they have a chance to, to be a good, good player, hopefully a big leaguer. You're hopefully we're, we're watching kids that have the, that these types of abilities. So the, the, the difference maker is makeup. And what they're going to do when they get drafted and, and they, you send them out, what they're going to do then. Um, that is a separator. And the player development stuff is huge. I mean, it, you know, 
it's a tough road to get through the minor leagues and get to the big leagues and they need help. They need, you know, the player development guys we have now are, are great guys and do an unbelievable job and they're going to do their best to get the best out of these players and, and get them to the big leagues. And it's a, it, it's a must, you know, if you, if any of these things break down in the organization, it's very difficult to, for it to work the way you want it to work. We, you know, we have to draft good players. We have to develop good players. If we don't, you know, if one of those is lacking, if I'm not sending player development the right players or they're not getting these guys to the big leagues, we're, you know, we're in trouble. Before we let you go, Scott, and I can't thank you enough for taking some time with us, I'd love to get your thoughts on two other guys, Peyton Graham and Troy Melton, who you chose with your third pick in the fourth round, Graham in round two. Melton was a top pitcher for you guys, but let's start with Graham. This guy is all arms and legs, but he's talented. How important is it for him to fill out so we can tap into that potential? Well, you know, it's funny because um, th- this is a guy we didn't think was going to get to us, too. Uh, we were hoping he would, and, you know, we – we're lucky at, and we're glad it worked out this way, but Peyton is very skinny. And, uh, and usually when you see a skinny guy like that, you're projecting, you're projecting impact, you're projecting power, you're projecting all, you know, is he going to be able to develop and be durable and all this stuff. And you're looking at him. Usually they're not, they're not like Peyton. Peyton is very skinny, but Peyton's got power. Peyton's got a really good swing. He gets the real power. He's a plus runner. He's got a plus arm. He's going to stay at short. So you look at him, you're like, where's all that power coming from? But it's in there. So it's not like we're projecting power with him or speed or, or more arm strength. He's got it right now. I think, I think as he matures, he'll, he'll add some weight. I don't think Peyton will ever be a, a big, you know, heavy set guy, but he'll, he'll gain, he'll gain, um, strength and and more mass and he'll he'll get more durability out of that i think and be fine but he's he's uh he's one of those guys that uh when you see him you don't think power and you don't you you wouldn't think impact because you're looking at him and he's a skinny guy but he's a good athlete and he does have power and he knows how to get to it he's a he's an exciting player troy melton the guy has great hair i might be a bit jealous that's what i got (laughs) What can you tell us about him? <clears throat> Troy's a great kid, really good arm. Um, we've watched him for the last few years. He he made a change in his arm action, which is really impressive to me. He was he was um, working on his control and and a little bit of his pitch design with his fastball, especially. And he shortened his arm action up, and usually that's a really difficult thing to do. And he did it fairly quickly, and. Um, much more consistent arm slot stuff got better velocity ticked up which he's, he's always had good velocity his sliders getting better um just a guy that a good makeup guy like we've been talking and a guy that um i think is a a hard worker that can also take informa- information in and learn from it and, and adapt it to his game which he showed us the way he did his change his arm action. So very interesting guy, uh, 6'4", 210, great body. Um, gonna be, uh, gonna be a really good starting pitcher. Looking forward to seeing them all, hopefully in West Michigan sooner than later. And obviously working their way up through the Tigers minor league system. Scott Place, the man in charge, directing amateur scouting throughout the Detroit Tigers organization. Always look forward to this conversation it just is so enlightening and it's really allows us to paint that picture to not only see what's happened recently, but to go back and dissect what happened a year ago. And obviously this is not your first rodeo. So I can't thank you enough for taking some time with us. Really appreciate it. And thanks for giving a little bit of a window into that Tigers draft room. Anytime. I enjoyed it. That is Scott Pleiss here on the road to Detroit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
It's now time for best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system, this one continues to hammer away. And that's cranked out to left field. Heading back, Jackson Frazier looks up. It's a grand slam. For the second consecutive day, Kerry Carpenter hits the scoreboard with a home run yesterday. Solo homer. And today, a grand slam. Eighth AAA homer, 30th home run of the season. Time for Kerry Carpenter to leave Iowa. It is 8 to nothing Toledo here in the second. It was a grand week for Kerry Carpenter. How about now his 30th home run in the Tigers minor league system this year? That leads all minor league players. He now has 30 homers with 75 runs driven in in just 96 games. The numbers in Erie were very strong. An over 300 batting average, had 22 homers in just 63 games, was leading his league in RBIs. Well, He's gone to Toledo, and he's hit even better across the board. He's hit over 340 at the end of last week and on base over 430. Not bad for a former employee of Dick Sporting Goods. Eight home runs, 27 runs batted in just with the Mud Hens alone in those 33 games. Congratulations, Kerry Carpenter. Easy to root for and easy to appreciate what he's done, not just among the Erie level, but also with the Mud Hens up in AAA. He's this week's best in class. Now, Nate Wangler, did he win this award once before or twice before already? I feel like we've had a few guys win this award multiple times. Kerry has won it several times before. He's he's always mentioned in our show in a special, unique way because he's always hitting home runs or doing something heroic every single week. You wonder how much more time he has to serve down in the minor leagues, but every show Kerry works his way into. I hear they're looking for a little offense up in Detroit. So (laughs) maybe perhaps Kerry Carpenter can find his way to Comerica Park. Certainly would be a welcome sight. Let's take a look at who ended up with this week's Rosa. Isaac Pacheco. And you know what's funny? You mentioned this earlier, Dan, and this was something Scott Place talked about during your interview intangibles matter physicality the body type that the organization is looking for in that certain position matters well Isaac Pacheco is six foot four and as you mentioned probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 220 plus and we needed to see one thing out of his game this year and that was the power start to come around and we saw it over the week against the Lansing Lugnuts he only hit one home run in the entire month of July However, he hit homers in back-to-back games with West Michigan over the weekend, coming off of what was one of his best months so far this season. He hit 280 with a 326 on-base percentage, but the one part of his game that we were looking forward to seeing come around the most really came around and came into its own over the weekend. I was really impressed with his performance, and I think he's deserving of this week's Rosa. You know, we talked about this earlier on this program, the difference between swinging at 100% versus swinging at 70%. And I asked Isaac before the ball game on Sunday, I said, hey, do you golf? And he said, yeah, I actually did golf uh, <laughs> once upon a time. I, uh... it's, like, it's like David Putty from <laughs> Seinfeld, for those of you who remember that show. <laughs> but I remember saying to Isaac, I said, do you golf? And, and he said, yeah, I do. And when we started talking about it, he revealed that he actually is a right-handed golf swing. And when asking him, okay, so you're a left-handed hitter, but you're a right-handed golf swing, why? And he said, I didn't want to mess up my baseball swing. I love the Mm -hmm. idea of somebody that's taking such good care of their muscle memory. You have an idea of what things need to be like, what your setup needs to be like, what your approach looks like, and you don't want anything to jeopardize that. He already is a right-handed thrower of the baseball, so he already has some ambidextrous abilities to him. So we're talking about an athlete, and we're talking about somebody who's at a massive size, 6'4", probably north now of 225 pounds. The exciting thing, having only watched him for a couple of days, is, look, when you play a corner position, when you play third, when you play first, you have to hit for power. You have to drive in runs. You have to be an offensive catalyst. And there's a lot that has to happen for Isaac Pacheco. We don't want to put the car too far before the horse. But just the early returns look extremely positive for Isaac Pacheco. 
to my knowledge, he's the first player I've ever seen in West Michigan that had the other broadcasting crew running into the booth saying, hey, we just need you to know we really like this guy. They don't just give those comments away, okay? <laughs> but again, congratulations to both Kerry Carpenter and Isaac Pacheco, this week's best in class and winner of the Rosa this week on the RTD. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, it's been a little bit of an unusual season because he's had to learn a whole lot of things away from the diamond. Joey Wentz, the Detroit Tigers' number 10 prospect, joins us now here on the RTD, presented by Carhartt. Joey, it's good to see you in general, but it's really good to see you next to a baseball field. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you so much. Definitely good to be back on the field. and um, feel really good about, you know, about how it's going. What does it mean to you to, to have taken this time to, to get to this point? Yeah, I mean, certainly anytime you go, anytime, you know, you, you leave the field and you're a little banged up, it's, it's, a, it's a road back and it's a process to get back on the field just between, you know, your, your physical therapy stuff, your lifting, your throwing. And um, once you're back on the field, it means things are going right. Things are progressing, you know, the way they're supposed to. Um, so I'm happy with it. It has probably kind of felt for you like a whole bunch of hurry up and wait for the last couple of years because whether it was Tommy John in 2020 or a shoulder strain this year, it probably has been hard to fight against that feeling of if it's not one thing, it's another thing. How do you battle through that? I'm sure you've had a lot of conversations trying to compartmentalize all that. Yeah, it certainly sucks. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It sucks to be out. And um definitely not you know at the beginning of the season when you want to you know kind of envision how it's going to go you, you don't envision envision that happening but um i try to keep a, a steady head either way and uh just prevail and um try to take care of my stuff on the daily and i think if i do that i'll you know now my focus is kind of shifted to um there's time left in the year there's starts to be had um, no matter where they come, you know, it's, uh, there's innings to be had, experiences, you know. Um, and it's about still improving on the field. What did you learn about Tommy John surgery during the time in which you had the layoff between whether it was the minor league season that never played or the surgery that you had? What did you take away from that? Yeah, I think any time, you know, a guy goes through Tommy John, goes through anything where you're out for a year plus, um, it's hard mentally, you know, more so than physically. Physically, I think as an athlete, you're given your program, you're given your timetable, and you can compartmentalize that in your head and um, get yourself on the right track. And it's about kind of checking boxes with that. Uh, mentally, though, it's harder because you see your friends on the field. You you know, they're obviously playing. and um, So it's tough, but I think I'm better for it. I think mentally I'm better for it. And, um you know, had the experience, got through the experience, and hopefully it's on to better things. When did you get that confidence back post-Tommy John? Because it comes at different points for everybody, but was there a specific moment or feeling that you had where you said, yeah, I'm back? Um, you know, I don't know. I think last year I pitched the ball pretty poorly. Um, but at the same time, you're just happy to be on the field. You're happy to be playing again. You're, you're out for so long that... Um, you know, you're healthy again. Um, I think, you know, I think over the off season, I took some time off and, uh, you know, tried to, tried to work hard. And I think that, uh, unfortunately this year before I got hurt, I thought I was putting together a pretty good start, you know, my last one. And, uh, even being here in West Mish, I feel, you know, I feel pretty good about where I am. So what's it like having to pivot from, having your success measured in results to having your success measured in how you feel when you walk off the field. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a lot better, you know, when it's measured in results and not how you feel. It's certainly, uh, that's what you shoot for and strive for. It's frustrating when it's how, how it feels because it's, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, to describe to someone else. Uh, you know, our staff with us, they did a great job with me. I, I, you know, it's, there's a lot of people that I, I thank, you know, kind of along the way. And, but certainly you want to be on the field. You want to be measured for, for what you do on the field. And you had two starts in Detroit to begin this season. And the second one, obviously, the one that you really can build off of. But you mentioned that you took some time off. What can you tell us about 
what that process was like for you. Yeah, I just mean like time off from throwing. Sure. Uh, I just went home, relaxed. You know, it was kind of the first season where I left where I I didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel good about the way that I threw. I didn't feel um, it was just an underwhelming performances. You know, I thought I think I got better. Um, you know, from you know my first live VP to my last Saturday of the season, I think I had some good starts. Uh, having said that, as a player, you know, you hold yourself to probably a higher standard than everybody else and went home, you know, took some time, uh, you know, thought about, you know, what I needed to improve upon. And, you know, I want to get past the stage of where it's always about the development. I want to try to get to a place where it's purely uh, the results on the field. We're talking with Joey Wentz. It's not been an easy couple of years for you in the health regard, but you still got the call that you were waiting your whole life to get. So there were certainly some outstanding positives to take. So take me back to that moment and what that meant to you to get a call that you had waited such a long time and had so many different challenges thrown your way to get. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was super cool. It's another thing for me. There's been a lot of people a part of my upbringing. There's been a lot of people a part of, uh, you know, my baseball career and, it was really cool. It was special. It was special for my family. I have older brother and a younger sister who, you know, been there for me. And I think when when you're the person that's the athlete or the person that plays, and um, you know, there's a lot of people where maybe their life more so revolves around me than than my life around them. So um, as special for people in my life as it was for me, and actually getting on the field. I mean was a poor performance my my debut certainly was special because you get there and you step on the field and you're a major leaguer and uh that's something that everyone says you know they can't take it from you but uh you know not a not a not a you know a, something that i'll remember because of how i played on the field that night but you will always have a baseball reference page and i think that counts for something we're talking with yeah. joey wentz so the second start that was when things really started to straighten out and you probably got the results that you were looking for tell me about the first game compared to the second game and what went right for you um you know i think that going into my second game i um i don't think it was so much a comfort thing i think that you know the team up there uh, welcomes everybody into the clubhouse and you know I, I know a lot I, well, I knew pretty much all the guys from spring training and just um, past teammates and stuff I think it was just a, a me going out there and kind of saying to hell with it I'm going to throw my stuff and uh, I, I don't remember what the numbers are but uh, I was definitely ahead in more counts uh, I was way more efficient uh, you know, I landed more breaking balls. I, you know, I located the fastball better. I felt felt confident in all my pitches. Uh, my changeup was pretty bad that night. I remember that. But other than that, I think that you know, a better mentality and a better personality going into the game. So we don't often get people who have had the taste of the major league experience like you have. So I've been dying to ask. What are the hotels like? What are the bus rides like? Are there bus rides? What are the flights like? What are the differences in those ways when you're in the major league? Yeah, I, I've been up for two home games only, so I haven't done a flight or <laughs> or a bus yet. But I, it's certainly pretty cool. It's probably you know what you imagine it to be. I think that it's kind of undescribable, to be honest. You kind of step on the field, and when you get off the field, it's the food's a little bit better. The amenities are, you know, obviously better than the minors and something that i'm kind of wanting more of probably you know i think everyone everyone throughout the minors has a drive to get there and um this is my second team second organization that i've been in and uh whether it's the team that drafts you or the team that you're with i think that you know it's just special to be on the field up there and you know something that i hopefully uh throw the ball well in the year and maybe get a couple more but keep improving nonetheless well, we got word that you're headed to AAA Toledo. You're going to be throwing a little bit there. And then who knows where it goes from that point. And we've seen different pitchers rehab in a similar way to what you did with West Michigan. Two innings in your first appearance, three innings in your second. So now the most important question becomes, how did you feel after both of those startings? How do you feel now that you're on the way to Toledo? 
Yeah, I felt good in both starts. I, you know, kind of more importantly, I think you can tell how you feel uh, between your starts and how your bullpens go. And I thought I've thrown two, two solid bullpens, two good bullpens. I felt good. Numbers have been good. Excited to go back to Toledo. Obviously, was, you know, was there to begin the year and um, excited, you know, to continue on the field. And uh, certainly, we have really good players up there. Great coaching staff and. Um, I have a pretty day-to-day mentality on, you know, I try to control what I can, and I think if I do that, you know, things will go right for me. If you do get your number called to go back to Detroit at some point this year, how fast can your parents make it to whether it's Detroit or anywhere else the Tigers might be playing? Uh, I'm fortunate. My, my mom follows every game. She's followed all the West Michigan games, even the ones that I haven't played in. So... My dad was at my second one. I would say one of them will be there, you know, if that happens. Joey, it's great to have you, first and foremost. And to see the success in West Michigan, I know that means a lot to everybody with West Michigan and obviously to everybody with the Tigers. Continued success, good luck, and most importantly, good health the rest of the season. Congratulations on a clean rehab assignment in West Michigan. Go get them the rest of the way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That is Joey Wentz here on the road to Detroit. It's now time for the road ahead. The Lakeland Flying Tigers take on the low-A Cincinnati Reds squad. Boy, that farm system has certainly gotten a boost over the last month or so. They get the Daytona Tortugas coming up this week, while West Michigan, they have the back half of a 12-game road stretch. So the month of August is a little bit blocky for them. They'll start it with two series on the road. They already had one in Lansing, did well there. And then they're going to go to Beloit, Wisconsin. they got a brand-new stadium out there. So the West Michigan team will take on the high-A affiliate of the Marlins. Then they're home for 12 straight games. It's basically two big blocks for the month of August. Erie heads to New Hampshire to face the Fisher Cats. That's the double-A team for the Blue Jays. And Toledo is home for the Omaha Storm Chasers, taking them on for six games. That is the triple-A team for the Kansas City Royals. And now you're all caught up. That's another edition of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Do not forget to rate our show. I know our buddy Sutton did it on Twitter. He's at Call Me Stubbs. He also goes by Steve Eiserman's Burner. I'm going to guess it's actually not the burner phone for Steve Eiserman. But shout out to you, Sutton. Thanks for listening to the show and appreciate all of you for listening along to the Road to Detroit podcast. That's another episode. We'll be back for another one next week. Our producer is Nate Wangler. My name is Dan Hasty. Until next time. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.